Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope everybody is doing well. For the internet jokesters out there, 6-9 today. Hope you're having a nice day. Uh, it's not nice, really, in the state of Wisconsin. We have a lot going on that is in the negative. Although the Brewers, they're hot. So we will talk about that later in the show. But we will start today with why revisionist his- historians... Do not need to visit the Milwaukee Bucks. We will also talk about why I think the Green Bay Packers would be all right without Aaron Rodgers. Not one of the worst teams in football. Adam Schefter, you drama queen. Lastly, we will talk about Aaron Ashby falling in line with a long lineage of brewers. And did David Stearns kind of know this all along? So we'll we'll do all of that. We'll kind of talk too about Brewers Reds at, at the tail end as well. Uh, so good show today. Excited for this. Uh, weather's cooling off a little bit here in Wisconsin. It's not feeling like we're in a sauna. I like that. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Like 75 to 80 big man weather all the way. All right. Let's waste no more time. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks revisionist historians or, or revision historians. I don't know. However you want to say it. Um, there needs to be a little bit of, all right, let's take a step back here. So the Milwaukee Bucks are in a playoff hole. They're down 2-0. It's not good. Everyone's crowning Brooklyn. I get it. Um, they should crown Brooklyn. I'll be honest. Like it's not even like a no respect thing. Like they should crown Brooklyn. Brooklyn blew our asses out in game two. They dominated game game one pretty much for the second half. And I would say they won quarters two, three, and then the start of four. I know the Bucks outscored Brooklyn in the fourth quarter, but they won all three of those quarters. And Milwaukee laid down in game number two. Uh, Mitch and I did sort of a live reaction pod yesterday. First time we had done that. I thought it went actually really well. Um, so make sure you go to listen to that if you haven't already. Um, if you have, thank you. Um, we will be doing another one Thursday night for game three. But yes, everybody has every reason to doubt the Bucks right now. No one should be feeling confident about Milwaukee. Now that said, I still think this Bucks team can make it a series. I know what the percentages say. I know that down two is never a good thing. But this Milwaukee Bucks team can make it happen. They can find if they can find the heart, if they can find the motivation, they have to win tonight on Thursday night. We know that. Everyone knows that. The fans should know that. Everyone in the arena who it doesn't matter. Bucks, Nets, it doesn't matter. They know it's a must-win for the Bucks. And if they win that game, then it's a must-win again on game four. And game four, if you win that. Then it becomes a three-game series the rest of the way. And then it becomes, who's your best guys? Now, everyone would say, well, that's Brooklyn. And I think even if the Bucks get it to 2-2, I think people are going to say, all right, we're, we're in this series. This this series has has some legs. But we'll, we'll definitely see. We'll talk about more in game detail of game three uh, tomorrow. We'll kind of do a little preview, kind of get you guys ready, sort of that deep dive, what needs to happen, what can't happen for Milwaukee when it comes to game three. But what I wanted to do today was more look at the roster construct as I saw a tweet from Paul Immig who used to work uh, as a Bucks reporter for Fox Sports Wisconsin. Um, now he get, he's on the radio for Bart Winkler's show. And he kind of listed off all the different follies the Bucks have had in the draft after 
selecting Giannis Antetokounmpo. This is well known, right? This is definitely well known for Bucks fans. Um, Bill Simmons, I think, actually mentioned it a little bit on his show, or Ben Thompson, who was who's a Bucks fan, mentioned it to Bill Simmons how awful of a draft that the Milwaukee Bucks have had in the past few few years, and it hasn't really worked out well for Milwaukee, and they could have this amazing team if they would have thought things through a little bit more. That said, the revisionist history of this all is funny to me because I think that people forget certain things, and I think that they casually can put a name out there and say, well, this person could have been on our team, and it's like, yeah, that's true, but at the end of the day, it's like, there were th- reasons why a player X was isn't on this roster. And we need to go back and we need to understand that before we can really say, all right, this was a miss from Milwaukee. I think a lot of these moves that we'll list out here were defensible at the time. Now, if you look at them now, you're like, what the fuck? How did you miss this? How did you not necessarily get this guy and become a legendary basketball team? Why didn't that happen? And so we'll go through the list and we'll talk talk about each of the moves and why it's it, they some of them were the right moves at the time. Some of them are indefensible and we'll we'll get to those. All right. 2014, Jabari Parker over Joel Embiid. Here's the thing. Jabari Parker was supposed to be a Chicago guy. Milwaukee didn't know at that time what they had in Giannis Antetokounmpo. They wanted to establish someone who would stay in Milwaukee. They never thought that Giannis Antetokounmpo would be a two-time MVP. Giannis was supposed to be the Robin to Jabari's Batman. There's a fascinating case for Jabari being a different player if he doesn't hurt his his knee, if Jason Kidd doesn't bully him out of the league, kind of, and if... You know, the the Giannis thing didn't really affect him. Like, say what you will about Jabari Parker, but the Giannis ascension bothered Jabari Parker. For what we just said about Jabari being the Batman, Jabari never saw himself as a second guy. And when Giannis took flight and Giannis became one of the best players in basketball, that bothered Jabari to the core, and they were never really able to work together. Jabari also, being sort of a cool, calm, collective type, being someone who's maybe not the hardest worker out there, I think really bothered Giannis. So I think the chemistry between those two two was not there. And Embiid at the time had a knee injury. He had a significant knee injury, and the the Bucks were worried about it. The Bucks were worried about the stability. And if they did draft Embiid, what does that mean for Giannis Antetokounmpo? How could Giannis and Embiid really work together? I mean, would they have found a way? Probably. They would have made it work, but it would have been a spacing issue. They would have had to figure some stuff out. And I don't know if it would have worked as well as people would think. I, I realize they're two of the best players in basketball, so of course it would be probably be pretty good. But it ha- you have to at least wonder a little bit, would have would Giannis and Embiid kind of clash because there's just so much, not enough room in the paint? I don't know. And yeah, the Bucks didn't take a risk on a guy with maybe some injury, injury concerns, and they probably should have. The next year, they drafted Rashad Vaughn. Now, Rashad Vaughn, Paul Emig doesn't note this, but Rashad Vaughn was taken over OG Ananobi. There were some other guys that they could have drafted, but... 
you know, anything really after the lottery is a crapshoot. And the Bucks had drafted right around the lottery spot. And so they didn't draft OG Ananobi because, again, he had a knee injury. I think if you were to criticize John or John Hammond, not John Horace, if you were to criticize John Hammond, he would take flyers on guys who might be lengthy, which we'll get to in 2016. But he didn't really want a guy who had some significant injury concerns. And that, to me, is is basically one of those things where you're like, all right, yeah, he could have had Ananobi, but he didn't want to take the injury risk. And for some reason, that was a sticking point for, for Hammond because Ananobi should have definitely been the pick. If you're doing that hindsight, Ananobi probably goes in the lottery. I haven't looked at the 2015 NBA draft, but Ananobi's probably a lottery player. But because of the injury issues, they didn't want to take that risk. And I kind of wish they would have because the Bucks have kind of screwed themselves on a different on different occasions. Like if you think about it, Michael Porter Jr. was another one who, and I know the Bucks couldn't draft him; they drafted Dante Divincenzo. But if and Dante and Porter was drafted 11th in that draft, but when Porter fell, like the Bucks should have at least made some calls and been like, "Let's take a flyer on this guy. He could be great." Like Michael Porter Jr. was supposed to be a top pick. And Denver taking Michael Porter Jr. has made them into a competent basketball team, right? But yeah, taking Rashad Vaughn instead of, well, Sam Decker, who did not pan out after. Jerry Grant, who didn't work. DeLon Wright's been in the league for a bunch. But again, DeLon Wright would have been nice. Or Bobby Bobby Portis could have been a, a buck all throughout. So yeah, there, there were some moves that could have been made. So maybe OG Ananobi wasn't this draft. I apologize. I thought OJ Ananobi was this draft, but it might it might not not have been this draft and another draft. Still, there were guys available, but it wasn't. It, I don't know if it's as bad of a pick now looking at this. So yeah, Larry Nance Jr. is another one. Kevon Looney, Montrez Harrell. I, I think there are all these guys who were potential players that could have been something, and they just you know it, it, in the draft process they weren't that guy. I mean, look. Sam Decker was drafted, right? Sam Decker is playing overseas. He's amounted to jack shit. Chris McCullough, I couldn't tell you where Chris McCullough is. I couldn't tell you where RJ Hunter is. Boston drafted Terry Rozier before that. It didn't really work out for them. He had a couple years. They probably should have held on to Scary Terry. Cameron Payne was drafted 14th. He's a bench player right now for the Phoenix Suns. Kelly Oubre has bounced around all over the place. Dev, uh, Trey Lyles was drafted over Devin Booker. At least we don't have that. Utah fans can be like, we drafted Trey Lyles over Devin Booker. Yikes. Or even Indiana, we drafted Miles Turner over Devin Booker. Justice Winslow. Frank Kaminsky and Stanley Johnson went before Devin Booker. But Devin Booker wasn't he was kind of a role player in college because that Kentucky team was fucking loaded. So there, it was hard to know that Devin Booker would become this kind of star player. But yeah, it, it, there are always going to be those those cases. And so I think the Rashad Vaughn thing, which I, I apologize, I thought OG Ananobi was in that draft. It was the DJ Wilson draft, which we'll get to in 2017. It, it's... It's, you know, it happens. But yeah, Rashawn Vaughn wasn't a great pick. But that happens in any sort of draft. So you're probably like, Charlie, you're really not going to defend Thonmaker over DeMontis Sabonis. Oh, I will. Here's the thing. DeMontis Sabonis is an awesome player. And if he was on the Bucks right now, 
the Bucks would be probably flourishing. Sabonis would probably play a uh, small five, or Giannis would play the five, and Sabonis would play the four. And Sabonis and Giannis together would just dominate teams physically. And Sabonis would be a great guy to have. Don't, don't get me wrong. A couple things about Sabonis, though. Sabonis got traded. Sabonis was on Oklahoma City. He got traded. So let's also make that clear. Like Sabonis wasn't a guy who immediately was on the roster at Oklahoma City and established himself as this star player right out the box. Indiana traded for him. They were, it was a savvy trade with the Paul George deal. And Sabonis came over in that Paul George deal. So let's also make that clear. That Oklahoma City felt like they needed to trade him to get Paul George. Now Oklahoma City has now transferred that into a bunch of picks. And we'll see what that what the outcome is of that. But So it's still kind of unknown. The jury's still out. And they drafted Thon Maker because... John Horse thought, or John Hammond, it's hard because he Hammond, Horse, whatever. Hammond thought that he could basically recreate Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's what Hammond wanted to do. Hammond thought that he was going to be able to get another Giannis. He thought that Thon Maker had the potential to be Giannis's counterpart, that they could basically run the league for the next few years. And the guy is obsessed with length. That's always been a John Hammond trait. He drafted Mo Bamba when he was in Orlando, and there were guys he should have drafted instead of Mo Bamba. It is a bugaboo for John Horst, he or John Hammond. He loves length more than I, I was gonna say he loves length more than than most porn stars do with their their male counterparts. But here's the thing, like John John Hammond just has an obsession with length, and that that is what it is. It sucks that it happened. He was never going to draft a guy like Sabonis. He just wasn't. That's not a. It's not a John Hammond draft pick in any way, shape, or form. Next, DJ Wilson over John Collins. That's a bad one. John Collins was drafted 19th. OG Ananobi's another guy they could have drafted. The DJ Wilson draft is one of the worst drafts for the Bucks because there were a lot of guys after that. That one more than Rashawn Vaughn hurts. Because DJ Wilson basically got hot for a couple months for Michigan and he made his case and that's why they drafted him. And then he just never amounted to anything. And DJ Wilson is a shithead. Like DJ Wilson was a guy who really didn't try that hard and a guy who just really didn't have the energy and effort you needed to be an NBA player. And I think that that was something that the Bucks really didn't consider. Then you have... Ignoting Brogdon was traded over the repeater tax concerns. That is f- so far from being true. That is disingenuous from Paul here because Brogdon wasn't traded because of tax concerns. Yes, that was an issue, but Brogdon wanted to be a point guard and the Bucks weren't having it. The Bucks told Brogdon, hey, we don't want you to be a point guard. We want you to be an off guard. That is what we want you to do. You are not a point guard for us. You're too slow to play the position. And we don't believe you can be a point guard. And you've had a ton of injury issues. Why should we give you $80 million? If Brogdon was still on this team, we'd be talking about how he can never stay healthy and that the Bucks wasted wasted money. But because he's on Indiana and Indiana hasn't done much, no one gives a fuck. No one's critical of Malcolm Brogdon nationally because Indiana's a flyover team. And Indiana doesn't matter. And that's why people aren't critical of Malcolm Brogdon. And I heard his name being brought up for CJ McCollum. And I'm like, why? He he should not be brought up in that conversation. But even if he's being brought up in trade conversations, it says what people think about Malcolm Brogdon. So 
I don't know if this Bucks team is better with Malcolm Brogdon. I just don't. I, I don't know. If anything, if Malcolm Brogdon was brought on the Bucks, he would have probably been traded for Drew Holiday. So Malcolm Brogdon would probably be on New Orleans right now. And he would have probably been in that Holiday deal. Lastly, Leaks destroyed the Bogdanovich deal. And look, that is the one thing we can say ultimately it, whenever this season ends, if it doesn't end in a title, we can say, look, this Bucks team should have Bogdan Bogdanovich. And they would have probably only lost 12 games. I've said that on Twitter. I mean it. They would have they would have wrecked the league. They would be the one seed right now. We would have just watched them against the Hawks. Like that's what the Bucks should have been. They should have had Bogdan. And if it wasn't for people opening up their big mouth, if it wasn't for Woj being mad that the Bucks gave Shams the, the Drew story, they would have had Bogdan on their team and they would be flourishing right now. Bogdan would be a fourth option right now for the Bucks. Bogdan would be a guy you could always rely on for more shooting and would have made the Bucks extremely hard to defend. And yet they don't have that luxury because... Adam Silver, Woj, Bogdan's agent, all fucked us very hard. And that's unfortunate. So that is the one thing that revisionist hist- the, the revision revision historians, I'll, I'll work on a better name for the title. Um, that's where we can play Bucks revisionist history. But everything else is not something we should. All right, I spent way too much time on that. I Obviously, there there's a lot to go through there. It's a lot to pick out. But definitely things that are worth noting. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers, there's obviously some revisionist history going on with the Packers too. You had Bill Barnwell say the Packers had the second worst offseason in the NFL. I wrote about that on SoTapWI.com. You can read that. Just an absolutely disingenuous piece from Barnwell. Um, it's sad that Bill Barnwell has become a clickbait artist versus you know being an awesome writer because he used to be that at Grantland. And, and now Bill Barnwell is just looking for breakouts on ESPN.com. So good for Bill. I'm happy that his he's transitioned to that. I'm sure it helps him financially, but he's not the writer he used to be. But I, that's all I'll say about it because I've already said stuff on stonetapwdi.com. As for Adam Schefter, who said that the Packers will be significantly worse without Aaron Rodgers. Well, first of all, no shit. But he also said that they would be one of the worst teams in football without Aaron Rodgers. Now, that's where I say pump the brakes, Shefty. Shefty is a guy who's supposed to be a reporter. But as I've mentioned with Woj in the past, when we talked about the Bogdan deal back in, I don't know, what's that, November? I said, you know, these guys, Woj, Shefty, a few others, Passan a little bit, um, that they think that they are the kingmakers of their sport. That they think that they can control messaging and they can control the media. And they're not just reporters anymore. They're personalities. And I think that has gone to people's heads a little bit. I think it's gone to Woj's head for sure. That Woj knows he can move the needle with any tweet. I think Schefter feels that same empowerment. I mean, look, he couldn't let Diana Rossini take credit for breaking the Julio Jones story on Sunday. Diana broke that story. She was on a bachelor party. It's actually an awesome listen. I think she put it on. I don't know if she put it on her Instagram feed. It's definitely on her Instagram stories. I would recommend you watching that because it's an unreal story by Diana. And the fact of the matter is, is that I'm sure there's like, my sources confirm Diana's report that Julio Jones is going to Tennessee. Like, dude, let her fucking have one. Let her have this. Like, why are you coming in here and being like, yeah, my sources tell me the same thing. Fuck off, dude. Like, he does that all the time. Like, this isn't anything new for Shafty. 
But that goes to the point of like he cannot like let himself be you know behind. Like all you have to say is yes, Julio Jones to Tennessee confirmed. Uh, Diana had it first. Passan does that. To, to, for Passan's credit, like he does, best, baseball is the best about giving credit. But this isn't a credit conversation because right? I could go all day about Big J's and how they use Twitter and how they think they're more important. It's more about the commentary that he has there. He's like, all right, they're going to be one of the worst teams in football. And I'm like, all right, okay, slow down. Does anyone like remember that the Packers had a Super Bowl roster with Rodgers last year? The Packers were rated as one of the best teams in football last year. And now without Rodgers, sure. It doesn't make them a middle-of-the-road team, maybe a little bit below average. Yes. But the Green Bay Packers could easily go 8-8 eight and eight next year with Jordan Love. They could maybe go 9-7. Nine and se- nine and seven. I know there's an extra game in there. So they could easily go 9-8 and eight or 10-7 and seven to adjust. I'll get there, guys. It's going to take a long time for me to be like, hey, there's 17 games. I'm so embedded to say 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. and seven. But I do think Green Bay can get there. I do think Green Bay could be a fringe playoff team with Jordan Love because they have so much talent. And it, 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 I understand it looks cool. I understand the breakout. I understand the engagement, the viewers, the attention is all there to say those things about Aaron Rodgers. But the fact of the matter is, is they have a very talented roster. Jay Alexander is one of the best cornerbacks in football. Darnell Savage is an emerging safety. Could be in that echelon with Jair Alexander. Adrian Amos, very good at the secondary position. Linebacking inside, yeah, there's some issues, but they have some talent, right? And they just brought on Devontae, or Devonje, I think, Campbell. Apologize to him for mispronouncing his name. Um, at inside linebacker. And then you have the Smith brothers on the outside and emerging Rashawn Gary. Again, another emerging player. Kenny Clark is beastie in the middle. You have Kingsley Kike, who I think has some real potential. You have a really good offensive line that's going to protect Jordan Love if they're all healthy. David Bakhtiari, I think, might be back week one. So you're going to have a really stout offensive line no matter what who's at the quarterback position. You have Devontae Adams. You have Alan Lazard. You, you have some really good wide receiver talent. You have a great running back in, in Aaron Jones and a, a good backup running back in A.J. Dillon where you could be a little more run first and you could basically rely on Jones and Dillon and you wouldn't have Jordan Love do everything as you you do have it with Rodgers. So there is a real case that Jordan Love might actually be all right. And we've seen young quarterbacks make leaps. Like we saw it with Lamar Jackson. We saw it with Deshaun Watson. We saw it with Patrick Mahomes, obviously, right? Like we've seen it with some of the biggest young quarterback names. And they ha- and, and Love has a coach that will help him succeed. So this whole attitude that they need Aaron Rodgers back to preserve the Packers, you know, making the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's true. But they don't, I don't know if they need Rodgers to make the playoffs. I really don't. I think they could potentially make the playoffs without Aaron Rodgers. Now, the NFC is a gauntlet. The NFC is really good. And maybe that's part of the problem is they have a really tough they have a really tough schedule and that schedule will make it really hard on Jordan Love. That's a fair criticism, but Aaron Rodgers had to do the same thing in 2008. The Packers had won the NFC Championship. They had a tough schedule. They went 6-10, and 10, but if you remember that season, it's a little bit of a fraudulent 6-10, and 10, 
because they couldn't stop a fucking sneeze. That should have been the year Dom Capers was fired. Of course he wasn't. Um, But the Packers defense was so bad that year. And they allowed so many fourth quarter fourth quarter leads that went to the wayside. Remember, the Aaron Rodgers fourth quarter record, a lot of people forget that Rodgers in a money in a couple of those games, he led them down the field and the defense couldn't hold the lead. I don't know if that same thing would happen with Jordan Love. So Baggers should have been that year eight and eight or nine and seven, probably. They lost some games on the table. That Houston loss is one of the worst. If you remember that one, uh, they were in the cold against Houston in December. It's like there was no reason to lose to Houston, and they lost to Houston because of a last-second drive. Like I don't even remember the quarterback at the time. But there are a lot of those games in the Packer lore in that year. And then Packers turn around, they win the. Div- I think they won the division, or they were. I think they were wild card actually because Vikings far. Uh, they won the they get to the wild card and they should have probably beat the Arizona Cardinals in 2009 and then they win the Super Bowl in 2010. What's to say that can't happen with Jordan Love? It it probably could if Jordan Love is as good as we think he might as some people think he might be. That could easily happen. That trajectory is there with all the talent the Green Bay Packers have on this roster, but we'll just have to see where where it all breaks down for Green Bay. Let's also be real here. Let's let's to finish this off. Let, we all kind of know Aaron Rodgers is going to be back. Green Bay has no incentive to trade him. Green Bay knows that Aaron Rodgers is going to be on this team. I think by the end of by the end of July, I think if they have to do a last dance thing with Rodgers, they will. Or if a mutiny happens and Rodgers and Lafleur raise up against Gunakus and Rodgers gets his way, then you have that. And I, I think both options at this point are on the table. I don't know. I, I also think Aaron Rodgers sitting out is on the table. I think those are probably the three options. And if he sits out and it's Jordan Love time, I believe in Jordan Love. And I'll get on Jordan Love's bandwagon. And I'll try not to be too critical of Jordan Love early on. And we'll see what happens. Because I'm still a Packer fan at the end of the day. And if you abandoned ship because of Aaron Rodgers and all this, you're not really a Packer fan. That's okay. All right, moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers have had a history of taking very successful minor league pitchers who are starting and turning them into relievers, and it's worked out really well for them. They've done it with Josh Hader, who ended up just becoming a bullpen guy. They did it with Brandon Woodruff, and they did it with Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns, you could remember, was an integral part to the 2018 NLCS team. Corbin Burns was an elite player for the Brewers in that year out of the reliever position. Woodruff also kind of did some relieving, but remember, he did start as well. He had the start against Clayton Kershaw in Game 1 where Woodruff hits the home run off Clayton Kershaw in one of the better moments in Brewer history. And so you've seen this before, and the Brewers are going to do this again with Aaron Ashby, their very talented left-hander, who is moving to the AAA bullpen per Adam McAlvey, uh, and he will become a multi-inning guy, as Rick Sweet, the manager of the Nashville Sounds, told their play-by-play guy on the pregame show. This is all per Adam McAlvey. And they all, and all of these guys made the move to reliever under Sweet. So, Woodruff, Hader, Burns, they've all done this before. So Rick Sweet has a playbook on how to get guys ready for the big leagues. I don't know how long 
Aaron Ashby will be in the minors still, maybe another month. I don't know how long this process takes, but the Brewers are positioning Aaron Ashby to be a multi-inning guy. I think that that's what's that is a huge, huge chip that the Brewers might have known all along. And I when I read this, I, as I'm as I was at, at a stoplight, I was like, David Stearns, you son of a bitch, you did it again. You basically were like, all right, we're going to trade Fire Eisen and Rasmussen for Adamus, who we really think can be special. And he's he's been a spark plug. The Brewers have been really good adding Adamus. He's been exactly what the Brewers' offense needed. And we are going to have Aaron Ashby kind of be this year's Corbin Burns. The guy that McAlvey didn't mention was Adrian Hauser. Adrian Hauser did this too, and Adrian Hauser was very successful in this role as well. And the fact that Ashby's a left-hander adds an element, right? Because then you have Suter and Ashby, two multi-inning left-handers who could really create some problems. You might lessen some of the stress off Brent Suter, that Brent Suter, every time they need a couple innings, that he doesn't have to be that guy. That Ashby sort of hangs out and can be a, a vital part of this Brewers sort of postseason run. And right now the Brewers are playing great baseball and their bullpen is kind of steadied. I think Trevor Richards still has some issues, but he's probably the least trustworthy guy. Jared Carabas does this with the Red Sox where he has trustworthy guys and then guys he can't really trust, guys he kind of can trust. I'm that way. Right now I think Richards is the only one where I'm like, ugh. Suter's kind of, kind of. Boxberger actually put in the trust category. Devin Williams is kind of in the kind of. Like, Devin Williams struck out the side, which was great, but he did walk two guys as well. So, like, uh, it was was a little uneven for Devin. Uh, But he he got it done. He made made it happen. And uh, Josh Hader, obviously, in the trust one as well. So, Aaron Ashby could really add an element to this Brewers roster that they are kind of missing right now. And adding more bullpen help is always needed. It's always appreciated. I would love to see what Ashby can do here. And if Ashby is successful, he fits right into the rotation next year, just taking Brett Anderson's spot. So I'm very hyped for it. I do have some concerns about the AAA to MLB jump. I know Bob Murray, our guy, wrote about that for Fanside, basically saying the reason why Jared Kelnick, shout out to Waukesha, really struggled in in Seattle was because the the jump to AAA to the majors has never been higher. And we keep seeing these prospects really struggle out of the gate. And then they kind of figure it out as it goes on. But we haven't seen that prospect come through and just dominate. So I, I do think they need to work on how do you acclimate Ashby to be like, all right, this is going to be a little different when you, you get into the big leagues. We'll, we'll see what they do because that, that's going to be the one concern I do have. Speaking of Hauser earlier, he had a great start. He pitched five innings. He allowed one run. I think he gave up three hits. He was good, good last night in a Brewers win against the Cincinnati Reds, holding the Reds to one run in that ballpark is very impressive. It's also impressive because the Reds were coming off a sweep to the St. Louis Cardinals. So the, the Reds were quote unquote hot. And then that that didn't didn't really happen. The Brewers gave up a run early and then they scored five unanswered and they held that lead. The bullpen, as mentioned, very good. You had 
a suitor for a, a little bit of the sixth inning. Boxberger, Williams, all got it done. Hobie Milner came in, struck out two in the in the ninth, uh, which is nice. I mean, Hobie Milner is a new ad for the Brewers, and in the ninth inning, where they had added a couple insurance runs thanks to Travis Shaw, it gave. Josh Hader the night off, which is nice. And if Shaw can kind of get going, that would be huge. He's down to 192. He's down in the order, but who knows? Maybe maybe you can start seeing something from uh, the mayor of Ding Dong City and get him sort of going again, which would be great. Avi Garcia hit another home run. This is his 12th of the year. I think we need to start thinking, is Avi Garcia an all-star, first of all? Second of all, is he in the home run derby? Because Avi Garcia has been great this year. Avi Garcia has been very impressive. Avisail is one of the key cogs for this Brewers team. And two out RBIs are are always appreciated. So two outs hits that home run. That sort of changed the momentum of the game. The Brewers would then get another run in the fifth. It was a yellow double play. So that's always unfortunate. And then an infield single for Garcia as well to add another run. So Brewers got it done in this one. Brett Anderson takes the ball tonight uh, against Brewers 17 and 11, by the way, on the road, which is pretty good. Vladimir Gutierrez, a newer pitcher for the Reds. Gutierrez has been good thus far in his first two starts against the Cardinals and the Cubs. He's been pretty tough to hit. Uh, does walk a little bit, so maybe the Brewers can get, get sort of base runners that way. But he's been good against two NL Central counterparts. So always a struggle sometimes with those young pitchers because you just don't know what to expect out of out of that guy. But that will do it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Daily Tap and then tapping the keg 420.5. Mitch and I with a reaction pod to Bucks Nets. And let's just hope it's a lot better than what we had um, on Monday night because that was not fun. And I don't like to see my guy Mitch be that bummed out. That's never fun either. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Wednesday, and we'll see you tomorrow. All right, bye.